What's going on, everybody? I hope this finds you striving and thriving and doing absolutely amazing. My name is Brian Martin. I'm a second grade teacher and host of the Teaching Champions podcast. And I hope it's been a great week for everyone who's out there supporting, encouraging, and lifting others up. And we have a fantastic guest for you today. We have Debbie Tannenbaum, and she's been in the field of education for over 20 years. She's taught various grades, and she's currently an elementary technology coach, and she believes in using technology to amplify learning. And Debbie is a technology consultant, an author, a blogger, and a speaker. And in this conversation, pay attention to the tips that Debbie gives about implementing technology into the classroom. The power of vulnerability. The wisdom she drops about the people you surround yourself with. The different technology tools that we can use in our classroom. And so much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I would like to welcome Debbie Tannenbaum to the Teaching Champions podcast. We are super excited to have you, Debbie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited for this one because... One of my big goals for this school year is to incorporate more technology into the classroom and be more efficient at it. And I know that's your expertise, so I can't wait to get some great tips from you today. Yeah, it's absolutely something I'm really passionate about. I really want to make sure that we're doing it and doing it in such a way that it really makes an impact for our students. Now, for the listeners that don't know who you are, could you please uh, give us a little background information on your journey and what brought you to this point? Sure. So I'm in my 23rd year of education. I kind of feel like that seems impossible as I think about it. Um, I started off as an elementary school teacher. I mostly taught fourth and fifth grade back in Maryland. I'm now in Virginia. Um, And in my first year of teaching, I started to discover the magic of using technology with my students. I was teaching fourth grade, and I was using some of Scholastic's resources with my fourth graders, and we were doing um, this Trailblazers project for African American History Month. And I just started to notice when they were writing for an authentic audience, and they were, you know, really doing that research, how things kind of came alive for them. And based on that, I started to do other things with you know, at that point, mostly scholastic. And I realized that this was something I was really interested in and decided to get my master's in technology back in 2002, which seemed, which is a long time ago. Um, (laughs) My 20-year-old son was a baby at that point. But yeah, I've just always loved it. I've always kind of really enjoyed learning new things and putting them into practice. And, uh, you know, as I was in my career, you know, I just was always exploring things with technology after I got my master's, learning new things. Technology's changed a tremendous amount since I got my master's. Talk about when I got my master's, I was using Netscape Navigator, which doesn't even exist anymore. But I've always just really loved it. And as I continued working with it throughout the years in schools where we started to use, you know, smart boards and Promethean boards, that was something I was really interested in. And then as we eventually went to that one-to-one I just felt like it was something I took to really quickly. And I really loved giving my students those authentic experiences and watching what they could do with it. And at that point, I had mostly taught fourth and fifth grade. Um, And so when I ended up coming down to Virginia, I was at a school where my principal was really into Twitter. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Like, this is so stupid. And she knows I tell her the story all the time. Mm -hmm. And she wanted us to join. And I was like, fine, I'll join. I had always done things like parent websites and other things to inform my parents and, you know, blogs for my classroom using, you know, you know, different websites. But I was like, I'll do it and I'll try it. And it changed my world. And I tell her that every time I see her because she's like, oh my God, you've done all these things. I'm like, but it started with you. And so I created my class Twitter account. And as I started to do that, I started to notice there was more of a community out there than I could ever realize. I started to find podcasts and realize that there were education podcasts. And I started to read books. Um, one of the books that I always talk about was hugely influential in my journey is Casey Bell's Shake Up Learning. I read it and I was like, this is, this is what I, this is like kind of where I want to be. And, um, you know, I continued to do that, got really into using the technology and my, the tech coach in my school that year was like, you should apply to be a tech coach. And I was like, well, it's my first year in this district. She's like, don't worry about it. Just go and do it. 
And I became a tech coach in my district the following year. And then I was like, well, I want other people to do these things and take these risks. Well, I can't expect anybody to take risks if I'm not willing to do that. And I started experimenting with things like Twitter chats and, you know, things like that. And it just really changed everything for me. All of a sudden I was, before I knew it, I had a blog. I had started, I started my blog in February of 19 and I just started putting my voice out more after listening and consuming other people's voices. I was ready to put my voice out there. And so through that process, I, at the end of 2019, I was kind of asked on a Twitter chat, what was the one thing you would do if you couldn't do anything else? And um, I said, I want to write a book. And Jay Billy was the one facilitating and he's like, you should go for it. And I started writing a book during 2020. Great time to write a book. Everybody else probably was writing books then too. (laughs) Um, And while I was in that process, I um, connected with Darren Pepper, who's my publisher in December of 2020 and shared my book with him. And he was like, this is, this is awesome. Let's go with this. And Lo and behold, in May 2021, on my birthday, which is really cool, um, my book was published, Transform Techiness to Make Learning Sticky. And, you know, since in in addition to that, I've been starting to present more and share my voice. I really am passionate about student creation and, you know, amplifying student agency. And so I've really been trying to spread my message. It's I feel like it's different than others' messages. And I really want you know, they talk about 65% of the jobs that are going to exist for our students when they're done school don't exist now. I want to make sure that our students at a young age start with these opportunities. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. I was really excited to be part of another book, um, Amplifying Instructional Design, that came out in June of this current year. Um, I was one of three contributing authors. And I'm just enjoying all that I get to do because I really feel like I get to help teachers make their job easier because their teachers have so much on their plates right now. I give you credit with all you do because it's a hard job. And my job is to help teachers do their job easier and help them find ways to help their students learn in new and innovative ways because they don't always have the time to do that. It's my job to help them do that. That's fantastic. And having read your book, one thing that I think that you really illustrate is that taking risks, being willing mm-hmm. to put yourself out there. And from going into Twitter and looking outside your school walls, because just like you, I think Twitter has been so pivotal in my own growth because there's so many people out there that are doing great things that we can learn Absolutely. from, that we can be inspired by. And I love how you talked about you listened to their voices. It made you reflect because reflection is such a a big thing that we can learn and grow from. And now you're using your own voice and you're putting out a ton of content, which I absolutely love. And you're doing great things, Debbie. I know from reading your book, one of the things that's near and dear to your heart is that student agency in that creation. What are some ways that you look to bring that into your schools? I just think it's really important. And one of the things I realized really early on when I talk about student agency was that I was trying to help have my students use technology tools where they didn't really understand how to use them. And so whenever I talk about creating, especially creating with littles, which I present about a ton, I always start with that. I talk about how I used to do my kindergarten game of whack-a-mole where I'd help one kid and another kid would pop up and I'd be exhausted. So I was really lucky listening to a podcast. I um, heard Pana Asafatana talk about how she used icons to help her students learn. It's something that's really influenced me and something I've kind of taken with and run. So I do a lot of work with my students, really making sure they understand the language of technology. And, you know, I, you know, this year I'm in a new building um, where I had been in a building where I had really worked on a lot of this. And so I'm reintroducing it and telling kids, you know, what are these pictures? These are icons. Okay, what does an icon do? It's a picture that tells us to do something. Let's make sure we understand what these pictures tell us to do. And really being, you know, explicit in how I'm showing them how to do that. So when they see that picture for a username, they understand what it means. That sometimes I think we just assume kids know things because they're digital natives, but they don't know those things. And Mm -hmm. explaining to the kids what a password is. And when kids are getting onto programs, saying to them, 
okay, these are the tools we're going to use. What do you think these tools are going to help you do? You know, getting a little bit of that prediction and inferencing in. So I think that's super important. It's something that I found really made a difference with my younger learners, but with my older learners as well. So even when I'm working with my fourth, fifth, or sixth grade learners, I still do that. And so I've really been explicitly teaching that. Another thing that I've been doing with that that's been a huge thing is I'm in the midst of my ISTE certification journey, and I'm eventually going to finish it. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder for me than I thought it was going to be, not because I can't do it, but finding time and concentration to do it. And so one of the things I realized during my journey was I wasn't doing enough with rubrics. I was really good at rubrics as a classroom teacher, but not so great as a technology coach. So I've created this thing I call an EDU Rubicon, where I partner icons on the left with the function of the content of on the right. So, you know, this is what you're going, this is what you're looking for. And this is what you're going to do with this, with that criteria for success on the right side. And it's something that's made a huge difference with my students, because before this with my students, I would create almost an algorithm where they have a list of steps with pictures, but they never really understood where each of those steps correlated with what they had to do. So by creating this EDU Rubicon, which is what I call it, it's really helped my students with that. And it's made a big difference. And you know, now my kindergarten students are going to be getting iPads. Well, they haven't gotten them yet, but I've still started with them using the EDU Rubicons. Even like this week where they were making what they thought was an example of a computer with Play-Doh and then drawing it. Well, I'm still putting the icons on one side and the words on the other side. So I'm building that process with them where they can connect the visual, getting in that universal design for learning with also with the with what they need to do. So that's been a really big thing for me to do that. And also when I talk about creation, really focusing with creation on tools that really help students create. A lot of times I think we just take tools and we're like, oh, well, they say they're good for students. Um, And I really talk about what I call my three C's, the idea that it has to offer choice of how to respond. It has to have collaboration available. And then it also, that last part has to be clickable. Those icons really need to be able to be used. So those are the things that I've really been trying to focus on with my students because I want to make sure a lot of times we talk a big deal about collaboration, but we think it's for older students. Even kindergartners can collaborate if they're given the right conditions to collaborate. We just have to scaffold it. And, you know, I try, my goal is to make it so that these things can happen early so our kids can then when they get older, they've already, that part is firmly in place and they can really focus on that creation even deeper. That's great. And I love how you talk about building that foundation, having that foundation is so important. And you also touched upon, which I really appreciate is even though these students, even the youngest ones, they're digital natives. I have second graders that show up and they already have cell phones, which blows my mind, but they, (laughs) they already have cell phones. They know what to do with them. But sometimes we do take for granted what they know, even though that they can operate it. So I love how you talk about the icons, really putting that visual out there so that they can make those connections. It's, It's amazing to see what they can do. Uh, I just, it takes me away when I watch that. And I felt like I was doing a lot of rescuing of students for a long time. And so when I have something like my EDU Rubicon up on the board for my students and they're like, I'm lost. I'm like, well, what did you do next? Show me what you just clicked. And they're like, oh, you clicked that. Well, let's look, you're at step two. Let's see what pictures on step three. Can you find it on your screen? And instead of giving my students all the answers, I'm empowering them to help them find the answers. And so Students get used to the fact that I will, I'm not going to come and do anything for them. Even if they're struggling with finding a number for their username, I'm putting my finger next to it on the keyboard. They're like, well, aren't you going to do it for me? No, I'm putting my finger. I'm giving you the scaffold. Now you're going to click on it. And I just think that's so important because a lot of, I think during COVID, a lot of times our students got really used to people doing things for them as well. And we really need to make sure that we build that stamina, that agency, that perseverance, because a lot of our students don't have that right now. 100%. And that's powerful. Yes. Empowering them, not showing them, not telling them, but empowering them, walking them through it. And they're so much more proud of themselves when they actually do it. And, you know, so I just think that's so important, you know, and it's, it's all those, and it's funny because it's not just with the technology. Yes, that's super important, but it's those little things that get them there too. What are we doing for our students versus what are, how can we help them do those things? 
Technology is one avenue for that. Um, but it's really important that they learn these things because the programs that they're going to use and see are not going to look like these down the road. But if they built the skills and, you know, and they understand how things work, that's the important part. 100%. That's awesome. Now, we were talking beforehand. And one thing that you've introduced me to that I didn't know about, so maybe there's some listeners out there that don't know about this either, is this Project Zero Thinking. Can you explain that Project Zero Thinking a little bit for us? So Harvard's Department of Education, um, one of their initiatives is called Project Zero. And Project Zero really focuses on the idea of that thinking is an intentional part of learning and that we really need to help our students learn how to think. And so Ron Richard is a leader in this work. I was really lucky. Um, I think I went three, two or three years. I was part of their summer Institute for teachers in DC. And so I actually got to meet Ron. I've read his book. And so he talks about these thinking routines as being scaffold. And There are lots of different types of thinking routines. And so I always think about it in terms of you look for the thinking routine that it's like a tool. What type Mm -hmm. of thinking do you want your students to do? So, for example, if I want my students to be introduced to ideas, there's a whole there's like quite a few different thinking routines that are meant for introducing ideas. One of the ones I happen to really love is called Chalk Talk. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I always try to start off with that map. And then once I've done that match, it gives you scaffolds. First, you do this, then you do this, and finally, you do this. Usually, it's in three parts, sometimes four. And it really helps our students to reveal their thinking because a lot of times we'll say, well, why do you think that? And they don't know where to go. Um, And so, you know, for example, for Chalk Talk, it asks them to brainstorm as many words as they can think of based on a particular topic. Well, most kids are able to do that brain dump and put that out. But then in the second part, they're looking and making connections to other people's thoughts. And so that's a really powerful thing for students to do. And it's not a step we would normally do with students. We would put it all out there and be like, okay, now I see what everybody knows. When they have to make connections to others, that's super powerful. And then finally asking them what questions they have based on what they saw other people wrote. So the interesting thing about thinking routines is that there, there's quite a few of them, but they're not something that you can just like collect like stickers or like, you know, it really works most effectively to introduce one, really get good at it and then continue with others. And so I really think about when I'm working with my students, which one is going to give me the highest impact because I might use it with them more than one time. And I, it's something that I definitely use when I do my um my professional development, I use them always as part as, as those parts because I feel like a lot of times with professional development, we throw information at people and then we don't give them time to process. So when I'm doing my sessions after a 15, 20 minute chunk, I'll say, okay, we're going to do a thinking routine and I'll give that time to process because I feel like that's so important for us as adults too. Now as adults, we might be able to cognitively handle doing more than one at a time but for our students, it's really important to be intentional. And the kids, the kids really enjoy doing it. And it creates these artifacts of learning, which I just think are so cool. We talk about creating. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think if we're creating, we have to make something from scratch. But with thinking routines, you're creating, you can create artifacts of learning by having students participate in those, you know, these routines, really getting their thinking at a deeper level. And it's just really made a huge difference with the kids I've worked with. It helps them think about things in new ways. And I always joke when I do the session on thinking routines and I introduce the Project Zero Toolbox, people are like, how did I not know this existed? And I was like, well, that's my gift to you, you know, but I always tell them it's like an all you can eat buffet. There's so much out there. You can't take it all. Take your plate, pick one or two that you really want to focus on, get good at them and then decide what's next. Because you know, you don't want to get overwhelmed by it. And so it's been a really amazing part of my journey. I'm really lo- the same principal who introduced me to Twitter, introduced me to thinking routines. And I just think that it's a great way to get our kids thinking deeper and really synthesizing things because we can Google almost anything, but that synthesize that deep, you know, that reflecting and li- really looking deep into things. That's something our kids really need. And it's something that no assessment is really going to test. Oh, I love this. And I love how you talked about 
what type of thinking do you want your students to do starting off with that? And then making that visible, the steps to scaffold it is just phenomenal. And I think teaching our students, making it visible, that there is different thinking routines that take place, even for us. I can't wait to dive into this a little bit more and understand the different thinking routines for my own learning. And the thing that's really great about it is, you know, though that alone is really great, but so many technology tools lend themselves to these. So like, you know, when I do something like a chalk talk with my students, well, Pat, not Padlet, I'm sorry, Jamboard is an excellent tool for that because they can post the sticky notes up and then they can use text boxes and make their connections to each other. So like really thinking about that has been really important for me because so many times when our students share their thinking, the only person who gets to see their thinking is the teacher. Correct. And so like right now, my fourth graders are doing a thinking routine called color symbol image, where they're reflecting on what a digital citizen, a super digital citizen is. They have to pick a color that they think reflects it, explaining why. They have to pick a symbol that they think reflects it and explain why. And then they have to pick an image. Well, each of them is working on their own work. We're going to take that work and we're going to put it into a collaborative class book so that everybody can see each other's thinking. And I just think things like that are so important. You know, we don't give our, when we tell everybody's thinking is visible in that learning community, we're showing that everybody's thinking matters. And so many students I don't think are engaged because they feel like what they think doesn't matter. That's a mic drop right there, Debbie. Absolutely. Showing that every student's thinking matters because some of them don't think that their thinking matters. Yeah. Oh, and I just great. I just think I just think that that's been such it's really and it so amazes me how many people, you know, for me I've been in schools the last two schools I've been in where we've really promoted a lot of this stuff and you know, now I'm in a new building maybe not everybody knows about it and so there's so much stuff to do there. We have to really be strategic with what we do and if we can find a way to help our students in a way that will engage our students who might not traditionally be engaged because some of these thinking routines are going to have our students think in different ways. We want to make sure we can do that. Uh, you know, it's the, they're learning how to share their thinking is probably one of the most powerful things that we can give them. I a hundred percent agree with that. That's fantastic. Now, what are some other tech tools that you would recommend to transfer learning for our students? I think that when I think about those, I go back to those three C's I mentioned earlier, that choice, that collaboration, and the click of, and being clickable. I know for my youngest learners, two of the programs um, that I really, really think are amazing are Wixi, um, which is by Tech for Learning. And then I recently became a huge fan of Book Creator because they give our students so many opportunities. They're really clickable. Their students can really learn those icons. I love the fact that both of them offer our students multiple ways to share their learning. They can share their learning in a video with audio, text to speech and speech to text, and they can use images and they can do pictures. So I love the fact that those two programs, especially for our offer those opportunities, but both of those programs and both of them are paid um, subscriptions, but I have ways of getting you those. You know, they offer also collaboration. Our students can work together. And collaboration, I think it's such an important thing for our students. Tech tools like, and or tech, even free tech tools. Paradex Flashcard Factory is an amazing resource that most people don't know about. It allows our students to work. One student is the artist. One student is their call, the writer. I call it the detective. And they work collaboratively together to create flashcards. I've had my young, my second graders one student draws how to solve a fact family. Another student writes the fact family. They put it together. They're standing next to each other, working together. There's power when we let our kids work together and, and feel a responsibility towards helping each other. Um, you know, so those are some of the ones. I also really love Canva for our older students. I haven't played with Canva as much for our younger students, but Canva is an extremely powerful learning tool. There's so much our students can do with it. Getting our students to build things like infographics to learn how to do some of that video design stuff and tools like Flip, where our students can really share their learning together. Those are just a few that I think are just really amazing tools. And they give our students these opportunities. I always 
you know, talk to my students about the fact that we never use a tech tool if it's not helping us do something we couldn't do without the tech tool. That's really powerful. And if we could do it on paper, we're not going to use technology to do it. And so I really am intentional when I talk to my students about that and my educators about that, because if you're doing something that you could do on paper and there's no change whatsoever, then you shouldn't be using the technology. Like we have to really think about why we're adding the tech in because we have enough to do. Don't make something difficult unless the technology is actually going to provide an added benefit. So I think that's just really important. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're a tech person. You want me to do everything on the computer? No. I want you to use the technology to give your kids opportunities to learn and share their learning in ways that you couldn't do without it. I think that's another powerful statement right there that, you know, technology is a tool. It's not the end all be all. And if you're not using it to enhance the learning, then let's put it by the wayside. Absolutely. And when you talk about we use it to amplify the learning, to share it, to take it to new levels. And thank you for, there's some uh, great suggestions that you have right there. Now, no problem. one thing is the school year gets started that I run into. So I go to these trainings, introduced to some fantastic technology, but then I get back into the classroom and I had the full intention to incorporate them but it ends mm-hmm. up falling by the wayside just because of the hustle and bustle. And I'm always trying to, to get things done. Do you have any tips that maybe you give your own educators or when you're presenting to educators to help streamline it so it's a little bit easier in the implementation into the classroom? Absolutely. One of the things that I've been working with the educators that I've worked with over the past two, especially two years, is I have a framework I use called planning with intent. And what I do with that is I always start with the idea of that I, that we, we have to identify those learning goals. I feel like a lot of times people start planning technology with a tool. That doesn't, that's not where we have to start. Once we've identified those learning targets, I talk about noticing where handles for learning might be needed. Is there something in the lesson you're teaching where kids are not quite getting it, that they need a handle, a way to hold on to it? I think that's really important when we're doing that, because if we don't do that, we might make a mismatch. And then really taking time to look at your tech toolbox. I always talk about my tech toolbox is really about five tools with five on the side. Um, If you have more than that, it gets really overwhelming. But thinking about, well, what tech tool might be able to help me meet that need? And It's really, we're very lucky in my district, all of our elementary schools have a tech coach. You know, we're used in a variety of different roles. We're part of the schedule. We do this, we do that. But having somebody to talk that through is also really important. And figuring, and then figuring out with that and envisioning how that tech tool is going to help you meet that, what you need is really then taking it to that E and then trying it. We are going to try tech tools that are going to flop and that's okay. There's been many times where I've gone in to teach a lesson and, you know, the website's down that day or whatever, but take time to do that tool. And then the most important part, I think, is then taking that time to reflect afterwards. So that's how I approach this with my educators. It's not, okay, what tool are you going to use? What do you want your students to do? Where do they need that support? Where's that handle? Where are that handles needed? Then look at the toolbox. It's step three. It's not step one. Um, And then figuring out how that tech tool is going to help your students because so many times we jump to tech tools and that doesn't benefit our students. You know, an example of that, my students are having trouble, you know, sharing, you know, using the math terminology when when we're studying, you know, we're studying two and 3D shapes. This is a second grade example I did last year. Well, Desmos has this great activity called a polygraph, and Desmos mm-hmm. is great. A polygraph is like a guess who with math. Students are partnered up. You can choose whether they're partnered up anonymously or they know who their partner is, and they ask each other. One person's the guesser, and one person's the chooser. The chooser picks one of the 16 pictures, maybe it's a cube, and then the guesser says, is it a 3D shape, and types it in, and the kid goes, yes, and then they eliminate all the 2D shapes as guess who. Well, this, by doing this, 
you can, I, I always have a list of terms on the board, but they're then using that vocabulary with each other and they're practicing that vocabulary. Well, you couldn't do that that way any other way. And every kid is engaged. You as the educator are getting all this good data on the teacher dashboard, seeing what language your kids are using. Well, that's a powerful way of using technology. And it's something that has an impact, but it might not be something that you would think of. And so that's why, you know, you just really need to think for that flashcard factory, having your kids write, learn, you know, every standard has something like you have to write word problems based on this scenario. Well, flashcard factory kids can write a word problem and show how to solve it, put that together. So things like that, I never try to make it complicated. I always try to say, okay, what do we want our kids to do? And let's find a tool that helps them do that. And I think that when you think of it that way, we went from a place where everybody used technology for everything during COVID. And then we went back into buildings and I saw things like Pear Deck packets, which makes me cringe. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't do Pear Deck with a packet. Let's think about how we're going to use that technology in a really intentional way with our students. And then figure out, did it have the impact it needed? Because there are times where I'll do something and I'll be like, oh, that wasn't what I wanted the kids to get out of it. And I'll revisit it. Um, And then there are times where I'm like, oh, wow, that was really great. How can I use this idea more other places? Yeah, that, that is fantastic. And I love how you said technology isn't step one. No, it's not. It's, uh, you know, how can we use it after we know what our goal is? And I also think so it's really important what you said. There are some times when we're going to use technology and it's going to be fantastic. There's going to be other times where we try something and it's going to flop. And we have to be okay with it flopping. And then, but that doesn't mean that we have to abandon it to reflect right. upon it. What do I need to do different? How can I incorporate it? in a different way or what are steps that I need to lay out for the students a little bit differently? Well, it's like the example I shared with the polygraph. The first time I did it, I just had kids writing questions and I realized that they didn't know how to spell any of the words. Well, after going through that, I was like, I'm going to make up a question bank and put it on the board. And at that point, Wordle was huge. And I'm like, what's your starting question? Like, what's your starting word? Mm -hmm. You know, but the first time I did that, I didn't do it like that. And I was, doing a session for people in my district. And someone said, oh, I never thought about putting the questions up. I'm like, well, I made the mistake. I figured out it didn't work that way. And even our older learners need those words up. We want to get them practicing using those words. So we're not judging them on spelling those words. No, I love that. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your book that you have come out with? So this is my book. I know it's not on video, but um, it's called Transform Techie Notes to Make Learning Sticky. Um, It's really my journey. So it talks about how when I first started teaching, I taught before behind closed doors and how I really began to look at how technology could be used and how I could empower my students. The first part of the book really focuses heavily on the student piece. It focuses on things like how to amplify learning with creation. And it talks about nurturing student agency. And then in the second part of the book, it really focuses on the educator because far too often books don't give our educators that piece. Technology transformed a lot of what I did for my students, but it also transformed what I do as an educator. And so it talks about seeking connections outside of your school, you know, finding your PLN and then offering your voice and then really reaching further. I really try to model for the educators that I work with that I don't ever stay and do the same thing over and over again. I'm constantly trying new things. I'm taking risks. Sometimes they're really working. Sometimes they're not. But I, I'm always trying to reach that little bit further. And sometimes I do things that terrify me. I just went and did some PD for a, a big district in Texas. And as I was going there, I was just like, what am I doing? It was amazing. But Sometimes you have to go just that little bit further from your comfort zone. Um, and I like to model that for my teachers. It's even helped my four kids at home knowing that I do that as well. I see I, um, my 16-year-old daughter just wrote a personal narrative where she talked about how she had been scared to do something and she pushed just beyond her comfort zone. I'm like, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the book kind of ends really talking about ways that you can maximize learning's impact. And um, I'm really proud of it. You know, there's definitely things that I've that I've done since the book that I am, you know, are things that I've been sharing in my blog. Um, but I feel like it really tells educators that 
you don't need to be this, you know, huge, like, it's not a perfect journey. Like, I went through some really tough times in my journey where I, especially two times where I thought about leaving. It's not about a perfect journey where everything goes. Teaching is, an, is, is a bumpy journey. And sometimes you have to go through those rough times to get to those better times. And I want teachers to know that, you know, I was so afraid to be vulnerable at the first part of my teaching journey because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. Now I feel like my vulnerability is my biggest strength. So letting teachers know that you have a story to share, share it, try new things, and know that there, there are so many people who helped me along my journey, and they didn't expect a thing from me. They just wanted to see me succeed. And that's what I want to be able to do with others. And, you know, so I think that that's really, really important because, you know, if somebody hadn't encouraged me to share my voice, then I wouldn't have done it. Um, it was, it's hard, it's hard to put your voice out there and, you know, have people say, well, why are you saying this? Or why are you saying that? But it's important because, you know, I think a lot of educators are afraid to share our voices because we're, a lot of us who are educators are essentially those good kids who, you know, want to follow the rules and, and, and color in between the lines. And, Sometimes it's hard for us to stretch beyond that. But if we really want to improve education, we have to stretch beyond that. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. And every educator has a voice. Every educator has something to share. But I completely agree with you. That is, it can be very difficult to share your voice because you're, you're worried about being judged or how you're going to be perceived. And But we need to move past that and the more you do it and i think that you probably could agree because you really put yourself out there that the more you do it the easier it becomes there's still going to be those moments that that are very difficult to put your voice out there but it gets mm -hmm. easier and i think would you agree that there's always going to be naysayers sometimes yeah. but there's always going to be more voices that are supportive, that have your back, that cheer you on? I absolutely agree. And I sometimes think that you also have to think about what environments you're in. And if you're in an environment where you're finding that everybody is a naysayer, is that really the environment that's going to help you grow? Um, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind because, you know, the people who are around you really do influence what you do. And, you know, you want to be in a place where you feel like you can grow and you can change. And, you know, I see so many educators that are afraid to change because they want to stick to what kind of works. And we can't be, we can't stick to what kind of works. We've got it. We've got to push that envelope because our kids, the way what we needed to serve be adults is not what our kids need. And I just think that's, so important to you know remember is that it was back 10 10 or 10 years ago or so my superintendent when I taught in Maryland like we shouldn't be teaching kids things that they can google well that hasn't changed but we're still teaching kids things that they can google mm -hmm. so we really need to think about that and I you know I understand you know there are bigger things in play when it comes to assessment and things like that and you know we're, you know, we have to know that data, but we also need to think about, well, what we measure, what we, what we test, what we measure, you know, matters type things. And what are we really, messages are we giving our kids? Absolutely. And, that, and that's so well said when, when you talked about the people you surround yourself, that if yeah. it's not a positive environment, then find the courage to get into a different environment. And it's hard. I mean, going from, you know, George Perez talks about going from an, you know, an uncomfortable average to, you know, a, something better, but it really does make a difference. And I want to also model that not just for my students, but for my kids at home, you know, I want them to know that they can push themselves and do that as well. And so I think that that's a really important message. I mean, the kids that I work with, they know that I, I have a blog. They see me tweeting out pictures of them. They see me, you know, the new kids I'm working with now, maybe not so much as when we three, but they, they'll know those things. And they'll know that I take risks and we do those things. And I want them to know, like when we go in, we're starting a tech crew tomorrow and we're going to use design thinking. What problems does the school need to solve with using technology? I don't have the answers. They're the end users. I am the one, but I'm going to use them to share what they need. And then we're going to design things that they need for their school. 
it's not about me. I'm just going to give them that platform and those supports to do that. We need to give our, we need to partner with our students, with our communities more and really build on that. Absolutely. And I love how you talked about like, we're the biggest modelers, you know, how we go out and how we model, how do we model how we handle adversity? How do we model when we, we get to something and we don't know what to do? You know, do we go out there and show them that we find the answer and that we talk to other people? Do we model putting your voice out there and being a lifetime long learner? Yeah. It's it's just so important. And sometimes you just don't realize what kids are getting from you. Even if, you know, even if they're, they're watching everything we do, our interactions with our colleagues, our interactions with other students, they're paying attention. And we have to be mindful of all of that. And so we have to really be showing them. And like, that was one of the things I thought was best about COVID. Yes, teachers learned a ton, but teachers also admitted they didn't know things. So many teachers were like, oh, I'm still learning this Zoom thing. I'm still learning this whatever thing. And kids would help them. Kids would work with them. Like, it's a learning community. So I just think that that was really important. I saw more teachers show that vulnerability during COVID because they didn't have, they're what, you know, things were a little bit less strict in a lot of ways. And they felt like they had that wiggle room. 100%. And uh, Daniel Coyle, he's a big on culture. He has a book called The Culture Code, another one called The Culture Code Playbook. Uh, phenomenal author. And he says, like, when we talk about school culture, three things, it's trust, vulnerability, and belonging. And that vulnerability piece, being able to say, hey, I don't know it all. I'm not perfect. Absolutely. So perfect. And Debbie, I just want to say, when we talk about the modeling, how powerful is it that your daughter is sitting there writing a personal narrative about what you demonstrated for her? I was like, I was like, I was so happy. Like, and I've seen, I've, you know, we, my husband and I have four kids between the two of us. And I've seen each of them say things like that. And like five years ago, they wouldn't have said something like that because I wasn't modeling something like that it's been really amazing to see that. And when I read her, she, she shared it with me um, on Google yesterday. And when I read it, I was like, like, this is it. Like this, just this alone has made my day. That is phenomenal. Now, what is a podcast or a book that you would recommend to others? Besides my book? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, absolutely. Definitely recommend your book. Um, well, the, um, the last book I just read, I, I would love to recommend. Um, it's called Moving Beyond. It's by Carly Spina. And it's mm-hmm. really an amazing book when it talks about working with your English language learners. I just read it. I know her from the, my Teach Better family as well. Um, I just love how she really, it's, a, it's been a really good reflective moment for me. Thinking about how I interact with my learners and the messages that sometimes we give our learners without even thinking about it that whole reflection piece again, but it's an excellent book. Um, I went to one of her sessions where she was talking about parent communication. That's a big thing I'm working on this year is trying to make parent engagement a two-way street. And it's just, it was, it's a really, really good book. It's um, out of the books I've read recently. Definitely one of my favorites. I listened to too many to recommend one or two. Like I'm the person who has, I always have so much on my podcast feed. Like I can never keep up. Like, (laughs) I a hundred podcasts out right now. There are so. so many great ones out there. I mean, I love yours. I really enjoyed um evolving with gratitude with Leaning Rao. I love Darren's podcast. I you know, there's just so many amazing podcasts out there. Um, you know, I I find that I just like okay, which one's new that I can listen to? Um, I just I love learning, and to me, like my car rides are my opportunity to learn through listening. Hundred percent, and there's so many great voices out there to to be heard. Yeah, it's it's just it's phenomenal. Excellent. If people want to connect with you, um, what's the best way they can connect, Debbie? Pretty much Tannenbaum Tech on all social media. Um, my website's TannenbaumTech.com. I have a Facebook group. I am on Twitter. Twitter's where I'm mostly at. Um, I have LinkedIn. I have Instagram. I'm not really that great with Instagram. I did TikTok for a little bit, so I have an account. I have to work on that a little bit. 
But pretty much if you search Tannenbaum Tech, you'll be able to find me. And if you want to email me, it's Debbie at TannenbaumTech.com. And your newsletter and blog are right on there as well? Um, my newsletter, you can sign up either from my website or or if there's link, usually links in my blog. My newsletter goes out now bi-monthly and then my blog's going out bi-monthly and they're connected. I'm doing a series right now called the ABCs of Transforming Learning. Um, and this this week, when we're recording this, I just did one on amplifying student voice, talking about two um, Wixi and Book Creator. So I'm trying to really stick to basics and give like one, two tips each month that teachers can implement, try, see what they want to do with. Sticking with that whole idea of we have to start simple and we can't try to do everything at once. And if you just try a tool to amplify student voice, see how it goes. Then you then let's talk about the next step, but not trying to pile on. Um, for a while, I was writing like blogs every four days, and I couldn't keep up with the pace. And I want to make sure the content I'm putting out not only is valuable, but it's also something I can keep up with as a mother of four, working a full time job, and doing my other things on the side. So I'm, you know, trying to really focus on that right now. Um, you know, as I continue to figure, you know, out how I can best serve educators. But if I've heard one thing this year, it's that there's a lot going on, and I want to make sure what I'm giving is quick and simple and not overwhelming. Oh, that's great. Now, if you could have the listeners walk away with one thing, what would that be? Um, don't do it alone. You do not need to do this alone. And if you're doing this alone, you're making your job harder. There is somebody out there who is doing something similar to you, who you can rely on. Don't be afraid of social media. You know, uh, don't be, and if you're afraid of Twitter, Find a Facebook group where you can get support. Don't be afraid to try. Or if you if you're if you're younger than I am and you're really into Instagram or TikTok, see what ideas you can find. Don't do this alone because if you're doing this alone, you're leaving all of those thoughts to gather in your head and explode. And there's no you don't need to do that. Great teaching is not some secret recipe like we are all doing the same thing. We all want our students to succeed. And so many times we're like, well, I'm part of this district or I'm part of that district. We do things differently. We're all doing the same thing. So reach out and find people who you can connect with. Um, you know, there's so many great things. Like, you know, I said, I'm part of the Teach Better Network, which obviously I think is phenomenal. But there's so many other great networks that you can rely on and learn from and just listen to a podcast, read a blog. Find something that fits into your life that leaves you feeling a little less alone because it's really easy to silo yourself as an educator. That's perfect. And Debbie, I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. You've given us so many takeaways, but also want to thank you, you know, reading your book. This is the first time that we've connected, but reading your book, hearing your journey, listening to you talk, you uh you're an inspiration and you truly, you truly model putting yourself out there, stepping into that uncomfortableness and sharing so many great things. And I think the, the proof's in the pudding. When we look at what your well, daughter said, yeah. I mean, what more validation do you need than to see that right there? But you're an, absolutely you're an inspiration and to your daughter and your family, but you're also an inspiration to so many educators out there. So I can't wait to see, I, this is only the beginning for you. So I can't wait to see where this well, goes. Thank you so much for having me. And I love the fact that you share on your podcast and that you spend, you, that you reflect and you do all those things too, because although for me doing a podcast is not something I'm currently ready to do. I love the fact that you, that you have this medium where you share so much and you put out so much wonderful stuff to the world as well. Well, I appreciate that, Debbie. I think, you know, we all find our medium, our, our place where, where we do it. But uh, you're doing great things, my friend. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thank you. Debbie is such a wonderful woman, and she just illustrates the beauty of a podcast that all of us, we get to sit down and we get to learn from someone like Debbie who has so much to share. Now, this is the Teaching Champions tape where I share three of my favorite takeaways. The first gem 
was when Debbie talked about her EDU Rubicon and how she uses visuals to help her students really grasp onto and make those connections to the different tools and the things that she wanted them to do. And remember her three C's, choice, collaboration, and clickable. That we want our students to have the choice to respond. We want them to have that collaboration to be available. And that we want those icons to be clickable. The second gem that I really appreciated was when Debbie talks about being intentional with our technology. That if it doesn't amplify learning in some way, shape, or form, then maybe we shouldn't be using it. And in lesson creation... The use of technology shouldn't be step one. It should be step three. And the third gem that I loved is how Debbie talked about not just staying the same. That she's constantly modeling for others that she's taking risks. And sometimes those are extremely successful. And sometimes it falls short. And she talks about doing things that terrify her. And how she's modeled that for her family and her children have noticed that. And that's such an important reminder to all of us. That some of the most impactful lessons that we give to our students, that we give to our peers, that we give to our families, is how we carry ourselves. What we model in our day-to-day activities. There were so many great takeaways besides these. So hit me up on social media at bmartinreal on Twitter and tell me what were some of your favorite takeaways. A big thank you to Debbie for this episode and thank you to all of you. The Teaching Champions community is pretty special. It's filled with people who are out there supporting, encouraging, lifting others up. And if you think someone would benefit from this episode, please share it. It helps the podcast grow. And hopefully this podcast adds a little value to all of you. And always remember, it doesn't matter if you're from rural America to urban America to Canada to Spain to Bahrain. We're all on that same team. We're all on that same mission. And we're always better together. Keep being amazing, my friends. And as you go out into the week, may you step into your strength. May you step into your shine. And let's build our champions up. Have a great week, everybody.